This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, professor of internal medicine and pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. On the original Southern Remedy, we answer questions about all aspects of your health and share some of the latest medical information in the news. You can listen to the show on Wednesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. Good morning, and thanks for being with us. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, a developmental behavioral pediatrician at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. And today we're going to talk about children and what we need to do to help them become good, productive adults. So we often talk about how it takes a village to raise a child. Today, I really want to talk about how building the village that is supposed to raise the children, who then become the village, okay? So our job is to make sure that we help raise children, whether they're biologically ours or not, all the children are part of the village that need to carry on our world, right? Some of us as children were really let down when we were growing up. Maybe the parents weren't able to supply all that was needed for various reasons. Maybe people didn't reach in and help out when there were struggles, say, with our reading, or when there was no healthy food on the table, or perhaps when mother was depressed and couldn't get out of bed and so couldn't interact and couldn't help you get ready for school. I know everybody's tired of hearing how we in Mississippi and our surrounding southern states are at the bottom for many wellness indicators, but the good news is we're actually making some progress. We're making some changes. And if we all continue to join together, we can make a huge difference. So let me kind of set the stage of why I want to talk about this to you today. So it does take a village to raise a child. That originated from an African proverb. And and so it's it's not from the U.S. It's not any knowledgeable person from here. It's someone from the old in villages that really felt that it was the entire village's responsibility to provide a safe, healthy space for children where all the children were taken care of. So, um, you know, the other indicators of making sure that children have the right kind of village raising them is it requires an environment where children's voices are taken seriously, where they're a lot of villagers, not just parents, but siblings, extended family members, neighbors, teachers, professionals, community individuals, policymakers, that they all care for children. Okay, so, so all of these villagers are important. And I think so many times, and I hear this in, in our state a lot, that um, raising children is up to the parents. 
And and I actually have had callers who called in and said, raising kids is up to the parents. Well, that's true. That's true. But there's some additional truth. Sometimes the parents don't have all the tools they need. Sometimes, in fact, I would say most of the time, I as a parent of five children often needed some extended support. And so what we have to remember is that, yes, it's up to the parents, but it's it's up to us to also help and participate. My kids are adults. They're raised. Now they are raising children, and I as a grandparent am trying to help them um, when when they need help. But they also need help from others, not just me. And that goes for anybody out there. So I'd love for you to jump in the conversation and join in anytime you have something to say about this. Send an email to family at mpbonline.org. So listeners, what do you think it takes? What does it take to be that village support? What do children need? Well, I'll tell you a few things. They need someone who loves you, good nutrition, Help when they need it if they're struggling in some developmental area. Somebody to listen to them and somebody to talk to them. Somebody to read to them. Somebody to clothe them. So who was part of the village that helped you raise your children? Or who was, who was part of that village that helped raise you, listeners? Was it just your parents? I doubt it. I'd like to hear from you about that that building of the village that I'm talking about. <clears throat> so today I'm delighted to have two ladies with me who are truly part of the village, who are working to help others raise their children. They, too, have already raised their children, but now they're helping others. So I have Dr. Linda Southward, who is a social science researcher and executive director of the Children's Foundation of Mississippi. Welcome, Thank you, Dr. Buttress. It's always a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. Linda is a long-term friend of mine, too, so we may just do first names today. Um, We also have Kelly Butler, who is the chief executive officer of the Barksdale Reading Institute. So welcome, Kelly. Thank you, Susan. Well, you know what? We have our very first caller, and I would love to go ahead and start with Gerald and Diamond Head, who has some comments about child-raising responsibilities. Hi, Gerald. Well, you know, I, I uh, thank you for this program today. I listen quite a bit uh, to NPR. But the uh, uh, comment that I wanted to make, actually, I'm on my way right now as we speak to read a workshop on uh, the very subject you're talking about. Oh. Uh, and and uh, it has to do, it, it, mine is related to uh, church and um, um, congregational support for parents raising children, but it's, it's in the same co- uh, community of ideas, and so mm-hmm. I, I appreciate uh, the uh, insights that you bring in there, and uh, uh, just wanted to share that. It's sort of uh, incidental or coincidental, but I'm uh, hearing this as I'm en route to do this event. <laughs> so. Uh, but uh, the other thing I wanted to say, uh, I don't know how much you are involved with the 
uh, neonatal intensive care center there at Jackson University Hospital there in Jackson. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we are, uh, my wife and I are proud grandparents of 14-year-old boys who were star soccer players and were born three months premature in Jackson uh. 14 years ago. And uh, they one of them weighed three pounds and one of them weighed one pound and seven ounces. Wow. And they spent, they spent three months in neonatal ICU there in Jackson. That place gave us their lives. I mean, uh. there's no doubt about it. Well, Gerald, it is it is an awesome center, I will say. And and in in my world, what we do is support those children who are premature and as you know, who are at higher risk for developmental delays and difficulties. And so one of one of the jobs in my arena is to track those kids, to follow them, to do developmental testing. And if there is um, a motor problem or a learning issue to intervene very early. And and that is why we're here today to talk about this is because it's so very important to support families. And I bet, um, Gerald, that that your your grandchildren needed needed and received a lot of support from many individuals other than just their parents, right? No, no doubt about it. In fact, we live in Diamond Head today because we were in Tennessee and they needed our help to, to help with those boys, so we moved here. Mm. And uh, 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 so, but um, the the other part of that is that you know they did extremely well. They're both honor students in school. They uh, uh, they are soccer players, as I mentioned. They are very active. The one that was the smallest at birth uh, has had to have growth hormones, but then he's, you know, his dad has been real good about making sure he gets everything he needs, and and he's growing now, and they, you know, they're both about as tall as my wife, and, uh, and so and we're just so, feel so very blessed, but also thankful to to the. Uh, uh, medical community there in Jackson, and particularly that neonatal center, uh, because I'm convinced. And, and we knew several young parents who lost babies during that time and when we were going around you know, there so much. And it was, there were times that they didn't make it, and that, that's a fact. Yeah. But, uh, but we are very thankful that, uh, for the care. And I, I just can't imagine any place... Uh, being better than, than they were in that in that situation. Gerald, right. this is this is Kelly. I'm curious about your memory of those very early days, and if your babies were experienced uh, experienced the the what was then called rockin' mamas, but I think now is called rockin' read. And to Susan's point about the village, there's been a great effort to from the very very beginning to wrap these children um, with lots of bonding experiences. I'm wondering if you have any memory yeah. of that. Well, after they got out of the hospital, you know, we, we when they were in the ICU, we couldn't do much with them. Um, um, their, their mom and dad were able to hold them just for a few minutes um, later on in the process. But, but then when they came home and they were still just very tiny, 
of course, that was a big part of our of our um, experience. And, uh, well, it's and, a great program, uh, and it's particularly helpful for parents who can't be there, who can't stay or be nearby. Um, so there are volunteers. Um, I think the Junior League began the program many years ago, and Barksdale and Mississippi Thrive have uh, joined forces. We are working with a program called Reach Out and Read that we are now about to introduce into the NICU. Oh, yeah. So uh, start early, talk right, to them early, um, and that, often. Right. That, that, that is just such a wonderful place, and uh, uh, they, they, they're on the cutting edge of care for uh, pre-mature uh, pre, uh, babies, and uh, we feel like we were very fortunate to have the opportunity to have them there. And uh, they, they lived in Jackson at the time. Uh, they live, now live down here in Gulfport area, but but, uh, but at the time they lived in Jackson, and of course there were young families from all over the all over the state, and some from outside the state that were there. So people came from all over. There, there were about eighty babies typically in that uh, neonatal ICU. Yeah. Yeah, and and Gerald, it's it's even bigger now and more state of the art. And what what Kelly has mentioned is um, the the fact that uh, we've through research learned that it's very very important for for babies, all babies, but certainly premature babies to receive um, the the warmth of that touch. And and the hug and the feeling of rocking and hearing verbalizations and so many times back in the old days babies were just left on the in the infant warmers and nobody touched them because they felt that they were too fragile. Now we do much more um, hugging and touching and skin to skin because of the the findings that show babies thrive more with that interaction and reading is so very important you uh, you know i encourage pregnant women to read to their in utero babies because that they're developing language even that early so gerald thank you so much for for starting us off for that call and i'm so happy your your children your your um, grandchildren are prime examples of with good medical care and good intensive adequate care and intervention children can do very well very well all right, I'm going to stay on the phones. I want to get to Amanda in Mobile, who has been waiting. Hi, Amanda. Thanks for calling. Hey, Dr. Butcher. Can you hear me? Yes, hear you well. Okay, good. Well, first, I just want to say thank you for all that you do for all of our children in Mississippi. You really have made substantial progress in helping us help our kids, and I'm very grateful for that. Well, thank you, Amanda. Um, you are welcome. I live in Meadville, Mississippi, which is one of those pocket areas where there's really not a lot of resources for, you know, kids with issues, developmental issues. My son is nine now. He was diagnosed at age two with autism. And... Um, Every week, we would travel all the way to Hattiesburg, which was almost two hours away mm-hmm. from where we live, for ADA therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am so grateful for 
his ADA therapist. They were so wonderful and encouraging and empowering and just in a time of need for myself and my son provided for us everything we needed. And I don't know that I would be where I am today without them. Well, Amanda, well, thank you for that. And I know um, Dr. Southward has some comments because you're talking about her hometown. Go ahead, Linda. Yeah, the the uh, screen here is lighting up when people are calling in, but uh, I lit up, too, when I heard Meadville, Mississippi. I actually am from originally Franklin County, Mississippi. So thank you for calling in, and I'm glad that you have had a good experience. However, you said you had to drive two hours to get the care that you need or your child needed, and that's part of what the reason we're here today is to get the word out to Uh, elevate programs and elevate services that are out there for uh, families across this state. And I think later on, we'll have a couple of other people calling in. But we really are interested at the Children's Foundation of Mississippi. We believe that for Mississippi to um, improve its future, we must improve the future of each child in our state. And uh, kudos to you for getting the services that your child um, has needed. And we are, are good to hear about that. What Dr. Buttress and Mississippi Thrive and other folks across the state have done in the last several years has been very remarkable. At um, probably about five or six years ago, the developmental screening rate of children in the state was around 10 percent. Now it's around 30 or 32 percent, I think, Yeah, about 30, yeah, 34 percent now, which is right at the national average. And so the the great thing is that more children are being screened, but to have the services that children need, it's still a real gap in there. Yeah, and I think one of the issues, and Amanda, you demonstrate this very well, you know, Mississippi is a large geographic state with a lot of rurality, you know, a lot of people living out away from large cities. And so um, we have well, what we have three large cities, maybe, in our state. But anyway, um, away from pockets of therapy, you know, we have pretty good services in central Mississippi, pretty good services in north Mississippi, and some in south, but not enough. But, but then you get out into the Delta and other areas of the state, and, and it's tough. And um, one issue that's been uncovered is we've been working on um, looking at services available is that we are not. Our early intervention services, which is a federally, partially federally funded program that is is also partially state funded, is supposed to supply birth to three intervention services for children who have developmental behavioral needs. And what we have found is that we're not serving enough children. And um, Dr. Southward, I know you and I were talking about this before the show started, and we've talked about this many times, is that our our early intervention services are serving about 1.5% to 3% 
of our population and yeah i think so and and sadly a smaller percentage the earlier the child is right by age which right. is a time which is opposite of when children really need more services right. to have more intervention so listeners you you have heard me say before those of you who listen regularly um, that early brain development is just rocketing in the first three years of life they're they're over a million neural connections happening per second, per second. And so we have this incredible time when babies are just soaking up information. And if there's a developmental delay, it's an incredible time to be able to remediate whatever problem. And so I'd really like to hear from others um, like Amanda, who had to travel for services or perhaps who who struggled to find services at all. They couldn't even find services to travel um, to. Now, and one other point, Amanda, I want to ask you. You said you traveled to Hattiesburg for those ABA services. Did you have to pay for those services yourself out of your pocket, or were, were they covered? Very, very expensive. Oh, every week. <laughs> um, but it was... It was a struggle, but thankfully we we did it. Um, it I knew it was very important, um, but yeah, it was it was tough. And I, I know there are several in my community community who, unfortunately, are not able to travel to give up you know time from work and to afford the, the services that their children need. It's just very unfortunate. Right. The time away from work, the cost of the therapy services themselves are not cheap, and the gas. So what we are doing is um, leaving out a portion of the population who who really cannot afford to do any of that. And Amanda, I am sure it was a struggle for you um, to be able to even afford that. So listeners, we'd really like to hear other like stories. Um, did you or your grandchild or your niece or your nephew struggle to find services? And if so, what what did you do about it? Or, or did you just miss out on those services? Thanks for listening. This is Relatively Speaking. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress here with Dr. Linda Southward from the Children's Foundation of Mississippi and Kelly Butler from Barksdale Reading Institute. And... Um, just for a minute, I'm going to get go over to Kelly, because, Kelly, I want you to tell us a little bit about the Talk from the Start program that's out there for children. Great. Thank you. Um, this was a project that the Barksdale Reading Institute initiated a couple of years ago, uh, recognizing because we had spent so much time when children arrived at the kindergarten gate making up the difference in language kids arrived with very little language, that we needed to do something beginning at zero all the way to five and really beyond. But So Talk from the Start was um, designed to be a public awareness campaign to make parents and other caregivers all across the state uh, recognize the importance of um, early language um, to brain development and not just to 
um, map out those synapses that Dr. Butchers talked about earlier that happen uh, are happening all the t- all the time and at rapid speed. Um, that if we don't stimulate the brain and and map those neurons early, it makes it more difficult to learn to read. Um, and so, talk from the start is to help parents and caregivers understand that talking to and with children, singing with children. Um, is really important and listening to children that sort of what we call turn return and serve and return um, to in, uh, really develop more interactions with children from the very very beginning and even in utero when you talked about talking and reading to to babies in utero talk from the start is a is a joint project with the Mississippi Children's Museum we have a traveling exhibit and this is sort of uh, speaking to the earlier call that that we have, we are very rural and we're trying to get services out to all parts of the state. But the Children's Museum now has a satellite exhibit that's traveling the state. We have a Rocky the Reading Pup who um, will help and um, come, who comes to these exhibits and and will and interact with your zero to five children. And so we invite you. Uh, to go online to the Children's Museum website and learn more about this project and contact them about getting this exhibit uh, somewhere near your community. So they can call. Our listeners can just call and say, we'd like for the exhibit to come to us and try to get on the schedule. Absolutely. And um, thanks to the Kellogg Foundation, who's helped so many parts of our state and in this area, um, we'll try to get it to you. That'd be wonderful. So, listeners, did you hear that? Talk from the start. Um, go to the Mississippi Children's Museum website, and um, you can look that up and reach out. It's a it's a lovely exhibit, and Rocky is fun. So I would encourage you to do that. So our first caller talked about how his his church community is working on developing that village and helping build up children. And so keep in mind, there there are bits and pieces all across the state that can help. Okay, we are going to go to another excellent resource, Um, Alicia Westbrook from the Childhood Inclusion Center. Hi, Alicia. Thanks so much for calling in. Hi, Dr. Beatrice. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to share about our resources that we have available throughout the state. Well, go ahead. Start telling us all. (laughs) Okay. Well, you guys are talking about finding services and the importance of finding those people to help families. And I wanted to share that at the Mississippi Early Childhood Inclusion Center, we love to help families. Um, We do that by providing free developmental screening and autism screenings for families who have concerns or questions about how their child is developing, how they're talking, playing, how they're moving. Um, We do this just when families call and and ask for more information about development. Um, We meet families um, all across the state, all over, at libraries, at child care centers. Um, we offer um, free developmental screening days at resource and referral centers throughout the state. So um, our next screening day, we're 
actually hosting one right now in Jackson today. And our next one will be on Thursday, February the 16th. And families who have um, want to know more about how their child is developing or might have questions about development, they can schedule a screener by calling 601-266-4745. 601-266-4745 is the number, yes, right? Mm-hmm. And right. Um, we will put that on our um on our uh, podcast also, Alicia. So um, if you'll text that to me, I would really appreciate that just because I want to make sure I get that number right. So um, tell us, if you will, now I understand you're on the way down to the Gulf Coast. So where where all do you serve? You have some people in Jackson. You're on the Gulf Coast. That's right. We are all across the state. I have colleagues that live and work in the Delta, the Golden Triangle, in Hattiesburg. And we um, are housed at the University of Southern Mississippi, but are, live and work all across the state. And I always say we travel. So if families can't come to us for a developmental screening, we're happy to go to them and to help them. One nice thing that happens when you participate in a um, developmental screening with MECIC is that we continue to provide that support for families as they navigate possible further assessments or services, helping families find those services that fit their needs so they're not having to drive two hours. Um, right. And helping, and help also a lot of times in our state. There are just a few pockets who are doing those good developmental diagnostic assessments, and sometimes families have to wait for months at a time. And so we help families um, find intervention services while they're waiting on those diagnostic services. Right, and I think there's a little bit of confusion there. I'm glad you mentioned that, Alicia. Sometimes people think that they have to have an absolute diagnosis by a a medical professional team with a psychologist before they can really receive services. But that's incorrect, right? Yes, that is incorrect. Um, So having the developmental screening done can allow, if you find a delay, um, again, trying to find proper services like that we were talking about earlier, um, Alicia, about the early intervention services are really good some places in Mississippi, but but um, there's definitely not enough services out there. Enough children are not being served right now. Would you agree with that? Yes, and so sometimes you have to look at what else is available, depending Mm -hmm. on their age, depending on insurances that a child might have. Um, Sometimes you've got, we have to help, and we help and encourage families to keep knocking on those doors until they can find those services. But with developmental screener and the report that comes with that, they're pediatrician or their family medical provider can go ahead and help to start make those referrals for services while waiting on the diagnostic piece. 
Right. I know we we actually at our Center for the Advancement of Youth do um, multidisciplinary diagnostic pieces. But but again, there are not enough of us there. There is a wait. Unfortunately, we are working to build the workforce, which is another issue, having enough people out there. But um but you are filling a big gap with all of the work that you're doing, and we really appreciate everything. We'll definitely uh, get that number on our podcast, and um, we'll let you go back to work because I know you need to do that. You took a, a short break just to call in, so thank you for that. Yes. Well, thank you so much. And again, we're so happy, like just like all of you ladies, to be a part of that village and to help families however we can. Thanks so much for that. Okay, I, I would love to have more of you call in if you have some questions about accessing services. Or, you you know what, you could even give us a call. I'd love to hear if you are a part of that village. Tell us something that you've done to help others raise children, maybe in your church. Um, maybe in some community club. I'd love to hear from you about that. So while we're waiting for callers, I want to go back over to Dr. Southward, who is going to talk to us about a couple of other resources and things out there. Yes, and just to follow up on what Alicia was talking about earlier in regarding uh, going to where individuals and going to where communities are, one of the things the Children's Foundation has started in addition to our interest in policy and systems change on behalf of children in Mississippi is really developing some early childhood councils across the state. So at our summit last week, we were so delighted to be able to spotlight these communities who are recipients of uh, some very small grant dollars, but what they're doing with these grant dollars is just phenomenal. There are in Columbus, Fayette, Oakland, Chickasaw County, Mendenhall, Poplarville, Greenville, Hattiesburg, and Laurel. Wow. So we have nine uh, early childhood councils. We had 57 applications that came in last summer. We funded up to nine. And so when we were in Yalabusha County in October, uh, someone was talking about the importance of developmental screening and really didn't know where to go. Before we left the meeting that night, I emailed Alicia Westbrook, who was just on the call, to a person uh, in Yalabusha County in Oakland where there's zero child care centers, and, but there was an unmet need there. And so since then, they have connected, and that's what we're really trying to help springboard across the state. So if a community, who knows the children better, back to the village point, right. than people within their own community. So the idea is to bring community leaders and parents and pediatricians, if there is one, or business people together to say, okay, what are the unmet needs of children in our Community. Some communities are working on applications for pre-K collaboratives. Some are wanting to go well, to be an Excel by five. What's a, what's a pre-K collaborative? Will you tell our listening audience about that? Because they need to hear that. Oh, I think sure. I, we 
that has been expanded. Our legislature has done a really good job of increasing funding there. So I want to give a big shout out to our Mississippi State legislators. But Linda, talk to us a little bit about those, because I think that's an important early childhood service. It really is. And it's for children in the state who are four years of age. The Mississippi Early Learning Collaboratives were designed to serve as the state-funded pre-K programs with strong community engagement and support. And these collaborative districts encourage unique approaches really to learning um, and and really implementing new standards into quality early care and education. So there are more seats being, um, more seats, more slots for children than ever before. Uh, they're in the 20. 20- 21-22 school year, there were 168 classrooms serving over 6,000 children in 30 collaboratives, but I think some new ones are going to be named since we went to press on that. Right. So, yes, a, a real shout-out to the Mississippi legislature for that. Um, but yet there are still many four-year-olds who are not uh, in these uh, right. seats. So these pre-K collaboratives serve four-year-olds. Yes. Um, What Kelly and I would like to see, right, Kelly, is that we move down and continue that support. That's very, very important. But but to increase the support of that birth to three-year group, when there's that rapid change, there's still great rapid change, and we know pre-K collaboratives increase the success in school. That has been shown. It By the time a child enters, if they were in a pre-K collaborative, they do better in kindergarten, they do better in first grade, and they read better by the second grade. Right. And the emphasis on literacy in particular in those pre-K collaboratives has been monumental. It's really um, accelerated the kindergarten readiness. We now have a kindergarten screener mm-hmm. as children are entering kindergarten, but we also do some of the testing at the end of pre-K and what we're seeing in these collaboratives in particular, where there is good um, literacy emphasis that uh, children are arriving at the kindergarten gate much, much stronger than in just in centers where there's not enough emphasis on literacy. So the more we can can get these, um, the better off we will be. It's been a real um, piece of uh, Mississippi's reaching the national average on the nation's report card for fourth grade reading. Um, many people may not know that Mississippi is now um, had reached the national average in 2019, and even after the pandemic, when the test was readministered for fourth grade reading, um, Mississippi was above the national average, even as other states. Um, were remaining flat. So this early literacy push mm-hmm. that the collaboratives um, does is is really significant. Um, so thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. So listeners, are you hearing that Mississippi is really not on the bottom of everything? That's okay. right. We are actually, um, on those last administrations, we are fourth in the country for um, accelerating growth for kids um in poverty, and we are seventh in the nation for children of color uh, to to accelerate growth in reading. So, and that are, happened because also we were statistically because we were number one in the gains 
not number one in the country, but number one in the gains in fourth grade reading and math scores, and number two in the country with the greatest improvement for three consecutive years. So it's not just that we are improving, we're consistently improving. But yes, as you're saying, Susan, how much better uh, and how much more robust our children would be as learners if we invested more in those first three years when the brain development is so importantly critical. When we look at inter- at early intervention and what um, what is state dollars going into Mississippi compared to other states uh, in New Mexico. They have uh, 90% of their funding for zero to three comes from state dollars. Right. Yes. And they, they invest a ton of money in, in um, early childhood yes. now. That's yes. new. They have an early childhood task force established. And we would like to see this happen in Mississippi. The the honest truth is, it's very clear. We can move the needle. Yes. We are not on the bottom for everything, and we can make some very rapid gains if we just have enough one-trained individuals who, who stay here, if we can stop the brain drain and increasing salaries for individuals who are working with young children and understanding the incredible value of those individuals. I mean, where better can we spend our money? Can you can you imagine why there even needs to be an argument? Well, it shouldn't be. I mean, most of all, if we're doing what's important for children, then it it clearly is no argument about that. If we're doing what's based upon data in the scientific literature, there's no question about that. And if we're looking at it for economic investments, I would like to use the term more retention of of our young people and others rather than leaving the state, retain the ones that are here. We also know that there are some young people, I met a couple last week, who are wanting to come back to Mississippi, but they're also looking at what the opportunities are for young children. So it's an economic development issue. There's no question about it. When you look at the return on investment, you've said it many times on the show, Kelly, we know we're looking at anywhere from a minimum of seven or eight, but more like a 12 or 13 percent return on investment when we invest in the early years, particularly in states in Mississippi where we have such a high uh, percentage of children in poverty. And to make it truly statewide, that's been the theme, what you've pushed here today, Susan. Um, One of the successes of the Literacy-Based Promotion Act is that we did a lot of things statewide. We did it consistently everywhere, and that's really how we lifted a state off the bottom, and that's really what we're trying to achieve here now with zero to five and zero to three is to make those screenings and those access to services truly seamless um, so that they're easily accessed by anyone. And with Kids Count, which is one of the programs of the Children's Foundation of Mississippi, 
we often hear that Mississippi's ranked on the bottom. We're not. We're ranked 48th. That's that's close to the bottom. But in education, there's four domains, four um, areas within each of those four domains. So of the 16 indicators, we've improved on 14 of the 16. But in education overall, Mississippi ranks 39th. There's a reason for that. There's a reason because of the investment uh, by the Barksdale Reading Institute, by the pre-K collaboratives, by having more children screen early on and having the services. So I think sometimes there really is a fear that parents are worried that if their child is labeled as developmental delay, if they have a delay, if a developmental screener is done, and then they're found to be delayed, that then they're going to be labeled for the rest of their life. And I just want to point out that that's not true. I see many children who have speech-language delay early on. That's the most common delay that we see. And and with speech and language therapy, many times by the time they enter kindergarten, they are now at a typically developing level. So to keep in mind that early discovery is vital if you don't want a child to have to receive special education services later. Now, we know that there are some children with more severe delays who will continue to need support services, and that's also another reason to get them enrolled early because those early gains typically are much more rapid than if you wait until a child with a significant delay in kindergarten or first grade So then immediately they're struggling, and then you have to identify why, and then you have to get them into services. So listeners, those of you who may have had to receive special education services as a young child or who struggled with dyslexia that was not identified, I know you remember how bad that felt. So what we need to do is work hard to make sure that None of our children struggle, not just the wealthy, but that none of our children have to struggle through and none of our parents have to have to travel two hours and pay out of pocket and miss work to receive appropriate services. Right. So, Susan, let me make one more plug for our Barksdale program um, uh, that's targeted to parents. It's called Parent Academy. And it is now about to be online. We have done this in person over uh, several years. We have partnered with school districts to um, introduce this to school district personnel that can then train parents in getting their kids ready for kindergarten. It's a five modules, um, easy to follow, lots of resources. Um, so it's for use by kindergarten teachers, school districts parents themselves, parent groups, churches, anybody can can access this. It has not gone live yet, but we expect uh, towards the end of February we will be uh, publishing the um, website for it, and um, we encourage parents to do it. It's, it addresses all of these early developmental um, skills that we are trying to uh, help children learn before they get to kindergarten, like literacy, self, self-help, hygiene, um, all kinds of communications, math. We've covered the basis, so stay tuned for that. It's a, a new service coming to you from the Barksdale Reading Institute. 
How fabulous. And so how will people be able to look for that? Will you be doing a big media splash to let we everyone will. know? We will. And so and you can check our website and our Facebook page. Our um, uh, website is msreads.org, M-S-R-E-A-D-S.org. Um, and we look forward to sharing that with you. Again, uh, listeners, for for all of these resources that we've been talking about, we will post those on our podcast. I would encourage you, if you have just joined in or only been able to listen to a part of this show, that you go to your favorite podcast app and go to Southern Remedy, Relatively Speaking, and and listen to this, because we're going to have a lot of resources out there for you. And I'd like to make a, another plug with Mississippi Thrive for, I guess, five years now, right. have a, a, a wealth of information about resources for children and families, zero uh through five, and I think that's housed at the Social Science Research Center at Mississippi State University. It is. And Heather Martin is there, and she is the statewide coordinator of Mind of the Making, as well as Varum. So those are some other resources that are available. I'm glad you're going to post these at the end of the show. Yeah, great. Uh, The Mississippi Thrive, thank you, Linda, for that. The Mississippi Thrive uh, website does have a plethora of resources for um, medical providers, teachers, parents, um, and the like, and so I would, and childcare um, providers. So I would, I would really encourage you. It's MississippiThrive.com, and Mississippi spelled all the way out. And yes, we were fortunate enough. The Department of Human Services has um, agreed to give funding to um, the Social Science Research Center at Mississippi State, who are our partners um, in all of this work uh, over the years. And um, they'll continue to fund the website. So we are so excited and happy happy for that. So we'll continue to have that updated and services given. So we are running out of time. I want to remind all of our listeners that when we talk about that village, we've got the child and the parent and caregivers, the siblings, the extended family, but then there's everybody else. So join in and take care of, of our children and We'll have a much better state and a much better United States. So Southern Remedy is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio, and funding is provided in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and support from listeners like you. If you'd like to hear the show again or any past episodes, like I said, go to your favorite podcast app by searching Southern Remedy, relatively speaking. I want to really thank Kelly Butler from Barksdale Reading Institute, Dr. Linda Southward from the Children's Foundation of Mississippi, and and to all of you. And to my producer, Jay White, I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, and I hope you'll join us next Tuesday at 11 for Relatively Speaking, right here on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.